Well, I don't know about you guys, but between uh, our opening songs and that portion from Psalm 51, I am almost certainly going to have Keith Green on Spotify on the way home this afternoon. Uh, Even as I was reading that confession, I was uh, hearing the song in my head. Uh, We are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8. In the middle of it, it's on page 632 if you're using the church Bible. Just as a brief update, I asked you guys to pray for the council as we met yesterday for a, a, time, a retreat together at the Keels house, and we spent about five hours together and a, a good portion of that in prayer for the church and some discussion, and it was a good time. Uh, so uh, thank you if you were praying for us. In this chapter that we're in the middle of, Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom herself directly calls all people, old and young, even the simple and fools, to come and learn wisdom. Last week we looked at the first part of this speech, uh, verses 1 through 21, where wisdom assures her audience that her words are righteous and true and reliable, and she offers to all the skills that wise rulers use. She's saying, you know what the professional rulers use? That's available to you. Come and get it. It's a wise way of living that leads to enduring wealth. Wisdom speech has wound its way at the beginning at the city gates to the halls of power. But now as we pick up in verse 22, we are suddenly launched beyond the king's palace, indeed beyond the horizons, right back to the beginning of time and space itself, indeed before time and space. Listen as we read the second part of wisdom speech, beginning at verse 22 on page 632, and we'll read through the end of this chapter. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world." When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. This is God's word. I want to begin this morning at the end of this passage with verses uh, 32 through 36. Although wisdom's speech takes us beyond the horizons of our own planet, back to the beginning of time, This isn't just a PBS history of the universe sort of documentary, information for information's sake, just to satisfy our curiosity. This passage has an intensely practical purpose. 
to show us the way to have a happy or meaningful life. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Uh, This isn't the usual word for pronouncing a blessing, Baruch, uh, but it's this other word that Hebrew has, Ashrei, which is in the beginning of Psalm 1-1. Blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. You might remember uh, Pastor Burt preached on that passage a few weeks ago. And you may recall this word, uh, blessed there. It's really, the sense is happy or fulfilled. This is the way to have a meaningful life. So we could gloss what wisdom promises in verses 32 and 34 as, those who keep my ways are fulfilled. The one who listens to me is fulfilled. If we hear instruction and do not neglect it, we will become wise. Authoritative teaching, this instruction, develops our ethical skills, our ability to navigate life well. Indeed, finding wisdom is finding life and eliciting favor from the Lord. So this whole passage with its description of creation and before time is intensely practical. It calls us to a particular way of life. Wisdom speech is practical, but it's not merely pragmatic. And it's important that we note this. It's easy to treat wisdom pragmatically. Wisdom claims to offer meaning and happiness and wealth. Great, you say. I'm glad that works for you. You do you, but I'm going to try a different way. Isn't that our modern default mode? It's intensely relativistic. It's hard not to hear any offer of happiness or meaning as simply pragmatic. That diet works for you? Great. This diet works for me. That running shoe works for you? Great. This running shoe works for me. That dating app works for you? Great. This dating app works for me. It's all relativistic. And so we want to hear wisdom's words in that same mode. We live in a pluralistic society, and so a good measure of tolerance is a necessary civic virtue. That in and of itself is not wrong. But we need to resist the trap of hearing everything as pragmatic, this is what works for me type statements. The way of wisdom is practical, but not merely pragmatic. Wisdom doesn't just offer a way to have meaning in life. Wisdom offers the way to have meaning in life. Wisdom shows us how to get in tune with reality itself. Wisdom shows us the way things go. If we disregard wisdom, we're pushing against the grain of reality. If you've done woodworking and you try sanding against the grain, it doesn't work. If you try pounding a nail through a knot in the wood, it doesn't work. You need to pay attention to the grain of the wood if you're going to do good woodworking, right? And that's what wisdom is saying. I am the grain of reality. Pay attention to me. How does she prove her case? She shows that her exclusive access to the nature of reality is rooted in her own nature. And so she takes us back to the creation of the world. So the first lesson this passage drives home is that wisdom was with God before creation. Wisdom was with God before creation. We see this in verses 22 through 26. Uh, And in these verses, wisdom locates herself with reference to the created world and with reference to God himself. With reference to creation, do you see how she locates herself? All the prepositions are before The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his works. He possessed me at the beginning of the earliest of his deeds long ago. How long ago, you ask? 
At the beginning of the creation account in Genesis 1, we read that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here in Proverbs 8, wisdom says, when there wasn't even a deep, I was brought forth. Before the mountains were planted, before the hills, before God made the earth, the open fields, the pasture land, any of it, wisdom was brought forth. Proverbs is saying here in, in, in the ancient language of, uh, of their day that wisdom was with God before any part of creation you can imagine. Okay? Wisdom was with God before quasars or quarks, before nebulas or newts, before gravity or electromagnetism or strong or weak nuclear forces, or even time and space itself. Before all of that, wisdom was with God. So wisdom saying, if you really want to understand what's going on in the world, it's not the law of supply and demand or other economic principles. It's not natural selection or chemical reactions or the laws of physics. Wisdom herself is the deep principle that precedes all created things and makes sense of reality. What does that mean? Let's slow down here for a second. I've suggested several times in this series that wisdom is the knowledge of divine things. Wisdom is knowing God and all things in relation to God. Wisdom is taking everything we know about God and applying it to every area of our lives. And sorry if that's been a bit unhelpful using slightly different definitions of wisdom week to week, but the portrait of wisdom we get in Proverbs is itself multifaceted. There's not just one definition given in the book. And as I keep reading and listening to different sermons, I keep thinking, oh, that's a good way to put it. And so keep trying these different definitions. But they're all slightly different ways of understanding wisdom that is deeply rooted in the Christian tradition. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Owen, J.I. Packer all say wisdom is theology. Not in the sense of the academic discipline of theology, but wisdom is knowing God and how to live in light of knowing God, of our relationship to God. If that's true, what can it possibly mean then that this wise knowledge of God that shows us how to live in the world existed before creation? What does that mean? Simply this. From all eternity, God has thoroughly and exhaustively known himself. Every single aspect and corner of his being, God has known if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there's parts of ourselves that we don't fully understand, right? We don't know why we react in certain situations the way we do. We don't know why when we go to a certain restaurant, we keep ordering the same item off the menu, even though we don't really like it any time, right? There's just things that we do and we don't fully understand. But God isn't like that. God thoroughly, totally, exhaustively, completely knows himself. And God has known, furthermore, from eternity, every possible way that any possible creature reflects his goodness and shares in his goodness. I know, we're stretching our minds here. It's difficult to get our heads around this. But from eternity, or, or in the created world, every single creature reflects God's goodness and glory in its own particular way. And God has known that that's a possibility from all eternity. God has known how falcons, frogs, ferrets, fleas, flamingos, flounders, fireflies, you can go on down the list, each reflect his glory in a slightly different particular way. Here's a strange thought. God even knows how creatures he chose not to create could have reflected his glory. 
Okay, we're watching the Lord of the Rings with our kids. God knows how dwarves and dragons could have reflected his glory if he had chosen to create them. So in Proverbs 8, wisdom is saying, I am the oldest principle of reality, God's own wisdom, his knowledge of himself, and of how all creatures, all creatures can reflect his goodness. And this wisdom from all eternity, this deep principle of reality, is offering herself to you. Let's turn to the second way wisdom locates herself. She locates herself with reference to creation. I was there before all of that. But she also locates herself with reference to God. Lady Wisdom is described throughout this chapter in a number of ways typically used to describe God. In verses 35 and 36, do you see life and death depend on our relationship to wisdom? But don't life and death depend on our relationship to God? In verse 17, wisdom loves and is to be loved, just as Deuteronomy 6 commands us, love the Lord your God. Wisdom's words are right and just, just like God's words. So wisdom is described in a lot of ways that closely identify her with God, which makes sense if wisdom is knowing God, right? It should be described in that way. But then do you see in verses 22 through 26, there's three different verbs used for wisdom's relationship to God. In verse 22, wisdom is possessed or begotten at the beginning of God's work. God possessed wisdom when he set about creating things. In verse 23, wisdom was set up, and in verses 24 and 25, wisdom was brought forth. And the point here is certainly not to say, you know, there was a time when God wasn't wise, and then he brought forth his wisdom, and now he is wise. It's nothing like that. The point that's being stressed here is wisdom's intimate relationship to God, that wisdom comes from God's own being. Wisdom is brought forth like a child. Wisdom is possessed like an attribute. Right? We can say, I possess brown eyes. It's part of me. It's what I am. So wisdom was with God before creation. So God could, as it were, weave wisdom into creation. So wisdom is identified with God, with language that describes God, but wisdom also comes from God and is alongside God, with God at the beginning. In some sense, wisdom is God's own being. In another sense, wisdom is brought forth from God. Now, this identity with God and relationship to God should sound or might sound a little bit familiar. Do you remember how God, uh, 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 John starts his gospel? He starts at the same time as Proverbs 8.22, in the beginning, at the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, it's this idea that the biblical authors keep asking us to think that our minds can't grasp. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's no coincidence that John talks about the Word in the same way Proverbs talks about wisdom. As Paul puts it, Christ, the Word, is the wisdom of God. In Christ, the wisdom of God, possessed from eternity, is pleased to dwell in fullness. And so from the earliest centuries of the church, Christians have seen in Proverbs 8 witness to the Son's own relationship to God. So when we use the Nicene Creed in worship, we confess, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Through him, all things were made. The Son, the wisdom of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, was always with the Father and the Spirit before the beginning of creation. And as the word and wisdom of God, 
All things were made through the Son. Why should we listen to wisdom then? Because she's there from before all creation, the fundamental principle of reality. And if wisdom is from eternity, then wisdom is inaccessible, apart from God revealing wisdom to us. To try to get back to eternity to get wisdom for ourselves, apart from God giving wisdom, is like trying to step outside of the universe to see what's there. It's beyond our possibility as creatures. And so we are dependent on wisdom's reliable words, which we find in God's written word. Wisdom was with God before all creation, but our passage drives home a second lesson. Wisdom delights in God's creation. Wisdom delights in God's creation. We see this lesson in verses 27 through 31. Verses 27 through 29 use the bold language of poetry to make this point. When God fixed the heavens above, I was there. When God traces the horizons on the face of the deep, I was there. When God made the clouds firm above, I was there. When God fixed fast the fountains of the deep, I was there. When God set limits for the sea that waters cannot pass, I was there. When God marked out the foundations of the earth, I was there. It's the language of poetry, not science. God is pictured as a builder, preparing a site and pouring foundations for the earth, putting up rafters for a heavenly roof, framing in the horizons, plumbing in the seas. What's the point? Wisdom was there for the whole project, beginning to end. Wisdom didn't just move into the creation after it was finished, but she was there for the whole project, from the first shovel full of dirt to the last piece of trim. Wisdom knows how the whole world is put together. Wisdom understands the interconnection of all things, and so we should listen to wisdom's voice. But even more, we should read this passage in light of Proverbs 3, what it's already taught us. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. He founded it by wisdom, using wisdom. Similarly, Psalm 104, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Wisdom is not just a bystander like a homeowner who sort of checks in on the building project every day. The world is made in and by and through wisdom. And so wisdom is not simply a way to find meaning in life, one path among many. Wisdom is the grain of the universe. She teaches us the way things go. Listening to wisdom brings us into relationship with the wise creator of all things. And so the end of this chapter tells us when we accept wisdom's instruction, we find favor from the Lord. When in verses 32 and 34, wisdom promises happiness, uh, or if I can paraphrase it, a meaningful life, it's not just one way to find happiness. It's saying the way of wisdom puts us into touch with the meaning of reality itself. So our lives can be ultimately meaningful. That's why in verses 35 and 36, at the very end of the chapter, finding or missing wisdom is a matter of life and death. Wisdom is with God as he creates all things, and indeed God creates by and through wisdom. But then verses 30 and 31 tell us something even more astounding. Now let's be honest. When we see the word rejoice used more than once in a verse, sometimes our eyes just glaze over a bit, and we skim through this sort of bible talk that, you know, what does that actually mean? But I want you to see the profundity of verses 30 and 31. 
there's a number of translation questions in this passage, and if you're interested, come talk to me afterwards. I, I, I'm happy to talk Hebrew translation, but I think many of you are thankful that I don't talk it from the pulpit. So uh, that's uh, uh, something for later during the picnic we can talk about. To spare you the details, here's how I translate these verses, and I think it's the right way. I am beside him faithfully. I am his delight day by day. I play before him always, playing in his inhabited world and delighting the children of man. Do you see what this is saying? Wisdom, who is the word, the son of God, is daily the father's delight. The father delights in the son, who is the image of God, the full expression of God's self. And the son is always rejoicing. Or the word can be translated just as, as, as well, playing before the Father and playing in God's inhabited world. It's saying the Father is thrilled with his Son. And so he makes the world in part for his Son to play in, to delight his Son. This is a joyful, exuberant picture. It's like the Son comes in laughing and he says, Father, I've just seen this new creation. What's it called, a giraffe? It's too good. What are you going to think up next? And the father laughing as well, he says, well, check this out. And he points out a platypus or an octopus or the Matterhorn or something like that. And the son says, it's too much. This is, it's over the top. What will you think of next? It's this joy that the father and son have in creation. And so this is what it means when we say the point of creation is the glory of God. It was made for joy. Creation exhibits God's goodness in manifold ways. And so the right response to creation is to glory in God. And so we too are called in wisdom to playful exploration of God's well-ordered world. Playfulness is part of being wise. Playfulness is a wise response to God and his creation. Uh, my understanding is the screenwriter invented the line, but at any rate, the line is true to Proverbs 8 when in Chariots of Fire, uh, the movie has the Olympic runner Eric Liddell say, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. That kind of Using the gifts God has given you and you feel God's pleasure, that joy, that delight, that's the picture we're given here. Now as we end, reflect on these verses for a moment. Imagine the perfect father filled with perfect delight in his son playing at his feet. What's that like to have a perfect father enthralled with delight in you? Maybe the closest we get in this life is parents and grandparents watching Children uh, in sports doing well, or a bridegroom delighting in his bride as she walks down the aisle, fully enraptured in her. But the God who created all things delighting in you, how would that change how you think about yourself? How would that change how you think about the world? I mean, this is a point I stressed when we went through the Gospel of Mark, these passages, that part of Jesus' own ministry is empowered by hearing the Father say, you are my son, in you I am well pleased. That Christ's ministry is so bold because he knows the reality of the Father's love for him. How would that change the way you look at the world, to know that the Father delights in you in this way? It sounds too good to be true, but this is precisely what wisdom offers. Wisdom is calling us to come to her Wisdom is inviting us to participate in this divine delight and play. As we hear wisdom's instruction and keep her way, we ourselves grow in wisdom. 
And so we find life and obtain favor from the Lord. As we live in wisdom, God delights in us. And we playfully rejoice before him in his created world. Proverbs 8 is saying, wise living isn't just dreary discipline. You know, don't spend more than you should, that sort of thing. Wise living is feeling God's pleasure when we run with the grain of the universe. When we go with the way things go. Of course, the New Testament fills out this picture. Uh, As we saw last week, if you were here for the first part of this speech, in Jesus, the wisdom of God comes to seek us who are lost in foolishness, calling out to us from mountaintops and by the city gate, crying out in our daily lives to love him and be loved by him, the wisdom of God. And so when we have faith in Jesus, when we believe he's our Lord, God's wisdom given for us and rest on him, that's what faith means, to believe and to rest in him, We are united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so our life, as we sing, is hid with him on high. So that the Father looks at us and sees the image or reflection of his Son in us. And the Father delights in us who are united to Christ, just as he delights in his Son. And that is life-changing, friends. To know that the God who planted mountains set limits to the seas who made osprey and octopi and every other creature you can think of, delights in you. Do you want to playfully rejoice before him? Do you want to feel his pleasure, his delight in you? Proverbs 8 is saying, then come, run along the way of Jesus, the wisdom of God. Feel his pleasure, delight in him, rejoice in his created world as you run the way marked out for us by Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. Let us pray. We thank you for your wisdom, Lord, that you offer to us. We ask that our imaginations would be captured by this picture in Proverbs 8 and that we would learn to delight in you. May we find knowing you to be a joy And as we live life in light of knowing you, in in relationship with you, before you, as we live out that life, may we feel your delight in us palpably, and may we learn to rejoice in the world you have created. Let us, Lord, come to wisdom, the deep principle of reality that undergirds all creation. Let us see that you have given us wisdom not as some sort of an onerous burden, but as the way to live in accordance with the way the world is. Give us a desire for wisdom, to seek it out, to listen to wisdom, to keep wisdom's instructions. Make us wise people. Challenge our foolishness, Lord. As we live together in community as a church, use us to sharpen each other in wisdom, to point each other towards you. We offer these prayers in the name of Jesus, your wisdom, who became flesh to seek us out, who were lost in foolishness. Let us hear his call and respond to it this day. Amen. Let's rise to our feet and sing together hymn 170, Ferris Lord Jesus.